what I'd say about those transient um, um, attributes is that they, there are two sides to these attributes. There are attributes on the person. This can be, you know, again, on-call systems, HR systems, training systems, all these things we've mentioned. But there are attributes on this, the, the, the resources, the data. You know, does this database have of PII or, you know, is this production or is this dev or where is this data hosted and all these these different attributes on the information itself that can also be they can be they can be different. They can be changing. I mean, they're not can be. They're always changing. You're always spinning up new environments. You're always spinning up. You're always buying up new applications. And so taking the attributes from one side, the attributes from the other and using some sort of glue to put the two together. I think that's one of the other big new approaches that companies have been taking when it comes to more life cycle and, and what's called birthright access, right? Permissions that you get just by fulfilling a set of, of, of attributes. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, president and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. With me today is Ron Nissim, CEO at Entitle. Yes, this is one of my rare shows with a vendor as a guest. Now, why is that? Because in this case, uh, the vendor, Ron, uh, is running circles around any of my practitioner friends I queried about today's subject. Uh, we are talking about permissions management, and this is a subject we've been overdue to do a deep dive on this show, and I found somebody who can really walk us through the journey talk about the landscape, talk about the future, the whole shebang. So without further ado, Ron, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Question for you. We'll start with the basics here. What are the fundamental tenets of proper permissions management? Like what's the foundation here we're going for? That's a that's a tough question to answer, Alan. I'd say that uh, access to management includes a three core categories kind of that Gartner initially divided them out to, and then we can add a bunch of other things. But let's start with those three. First being the IDP, the identity provider, that would be your Active Directory, your Okta, and that kind of branches out into a lot of other sub aspects that have kind of been, uh, you know, under that same umbrella. You'd put the SSO in there, you'd put the MFA in there, you'd put the directory services in there, multi-factor authentication. Um, those are kind of all in that category, right? The actual authentication. So who is Alan and how do I make sure that he's the right person connecting to the app? So that's that's the identity provider. The second aspect is uh, what would be called your IGA, right? Identity Governance and Administration. Kind of SailPoint would be in that category. Savvy would be in that category. And these are products that kind of have two sides to them. One is the governance side, revisibility, access reviews, compliance. And the other is the provisioning, the granular permissions management inside those those different applications. The third category would be your PAM, privileged access management. That'd be your CyberArk as an example, right? And this is um, how do you control access to sensitive applications, sometimes legacy applications that don't connect to your SSO, databases, dev tools, things like that, infrastructure. Those would be th those would be the three, four categories. Now, out of those three, four categories, right, you, see, you have a lot of hype cycles coming out. ITDR is kind of a new one coming out around um, threat detection and anomaly detection. You could put CIM somewhere in that ca same category of visibility, right? A lot of visibility tools around access management. But but I think those would be the three, four, uh, three core pillars, uh, IDP, IGA, uh, and PAM as kind of the three core pillars that you'd put in any access management program. Right on. Okay. Okay. And I'm familiar with all of those. Um, but but talking about how they work together in harmony is kind of the kind of the key. So what's we talked about sort of the tenants. What are the goals? That's uh, that's a good question. So I think 
access management has two two hats to it, right? One is the security hat, which is what you people usually talk. Or actually, maybe let's let's talk about three hats from that perspective. Let's start with the, with the security hat. The security hat is namely around least privilege, right? That's the whole idea uh, that we all know from from the movies and a need to know basis, right? Making sure people only have access to things that they actually need, and the idea being reducing the blast radius, right? If something gets compromised, what is the radius of of uh, of uh, of that threat? And you know, we all like to talk about Snowden as kind of that first example. That's kind of the scary army example, but there are much more benign examples from the real real or real world. Excuse me. Uh, Okta had a very big big breach recently that was focused around one of their their customer success people having access to all of the customers' environments. All it took was one CS guy that got compromised. And boom, all of Okta or a very large portion of Okta's uh, customers were were compromised. And so um, that's kind of a, a real life example of what the importance is of, of least privilege. The second aspect or the second reason for access management, I would say, is just operational day to day. Someone joins the company. I mean, we've all worked for that corporate America behemoth, right? Or have has have had a friend that, that's worked for one of those. They join the company and you ask them a month in, so man, how's your new job going? He's like, well... You know, I haven't really done anything yet because, like, they're still working on getting me a laptop. Um, and you know, we all have that friend that that's been doing that. And so that's kind of the the, the operational. Just how do you onboard people? How do you make sure they're they're effective? How do you make sure they have access to things that they need? So that's the operational side of access or permission management. Third aspect is the compliance aspect, right? SOC two, SOCs, pretty much every compliance talks about the need to govern who has access to sensitive aspects. SOX talks about what's called segregation of duties, right? Making sure that people are only allowed to do different aspects and that one person can't um, create a whole chain of, of, uh, of uh, fin financial liability. So those would be the three core categories of why to manage access. And I think that as security leaders, each security leader kind of tackles this from his own prior or her own, own priority, right? Some would start from the security aspect, which namely uh, as a security practitioner myself, I'd say that that's the most interesting and important part to tackle access management from because everything else cascades from there. But you could also tackle it from the compliance side and say, hey, all I care about is making sure that um, that uh that you know i, I passed my socks audit you can also tackle it from the operational side but i always I, I always joke that you know when it are in charge of access management they give everyone access to everything because it means that means the least amount of work but every time i say that joke i'm going to get called out because you know you always have the it people come and say oh no i'm very security conscious and i understand the needs so i'm, I'm very but, careful about but there's saying. there's incentives right there's incentives to not have too many help desk tickets coming through and to get them closed quickly i mean they are they, there are plenty of good it folks that are great security practitioners full full stop agreement um but their incentive structure is very different from ours right it, it truly is and that's i think where you see some of that some of that discrepancy so all right so we lead from the security side i i like that and of course i'm biased as well i might have just a, a bit of a leaning towards the security side myself um so, so the tech stack, um, we've talked a little bit about, you've got your PAM, you've got your, uh, you know, you've, you've got your sale point, you've got your Okta, your AD. Um, is there anything else from the tech stack perspective we should be looking at? Like, is there, is there a technical piece that's missing so far in today's model? Well, I'd say, um, I'd say that they, the, there are two, two aspects to what's missing. I'd say one is that a lot of the tools today kind of fall short when it comes to cloud access. And there are many reasons for that. One is that it's a new category, it's a new need. 
the other is that the the challenge of managing access to cloud resources is very different to than what we have known in the past of uh, on-prem systems and homegrown systems. Um, to, for better and for worse, by the way, one of the benefits of the cloud is, is as we all know, it's managed by a third party. And what that means is that the um, we're all we are we're we're all in the same boat. Basically, when you are when you have problems managing access to AWS, your peers have those same challenges. That wasn't true when it came to homegrown systems. If you had a challenge managing access to a homegrown complex system, that wasn't necessarily what your peer was facing. And so, all of a sudden, the power of the community. That's why podcasts like these are amazing. The power of the community is much more um, is much more significant when it comes to cloud resources. The challenge is that there these are very complex systems, right? Everyone knows, you know, sale, it can be Salesforce, which is just a, another SaaS app, a CRM, but the amount of roles there is just incredible. And then that's kind of the what we might assume would be on the simpler end, but I think it's it's fairly straightforward that AWS and databases and things like that are kind of a, a never-ending challenge when it comes to access management. Yeah, full full agreement there. And I was just thinking too of the, you know, when you outsource to your point, cloud is, you know, offloading a bunch of the compute burden to somebody else, right? And the management and the administration, et cetera. And those guys are always coming up with cool and new innovative things that mess things up. I have a, I have one particular situation I've run into myself where tools I was using yesterday no longer work today because I started using AWS's control tower for my identity management, right? And all of a sudden, Tools quit working because Amazon invented a cool new feature. It's a great new feature, but my integrations are broken, and I'm waiting on the vendor to catch up. and And as soon as that happens, Amazon will invent something new next week, right? Like, you know, so so that's part and parcel of it as well. I think is is you know when you're chasing after someone else's product agenda and compute agenda, you know, which is which is really what you're doing when you're embracing cloud, you run those risks as well. Totally, and I think that's what one of the challenges that a lot of companies have faced. I, I've you know the way we started our journeys, we just I met a ton of IAM practitioners. And what we saw a lot of cloud forward companies do is develop internal tools and develop internal access management tools that they they built themselves integration with AWS and things like that. And you know, that worked in the beginning very well. But as just like you said, as these products evolve, it's really hard to keep up your internal internal tool with that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So how about um, you know, we talked about tech stack, we talked about goals, we talked about tenants. What about, you know, environmental factors. In other words, uh, if I'm in a mid-market company versus an enterprise versus a very small startup, I'm going to have radically different needs, I think, in terms of, you know, what we're doing with permissions management. So kind of walk me through some of the, what, what are the alterations or adjustments I might need to make for small, medium, and large? So let me, let, let me start by answering a, a slightly different question, which is, where does any identity and access management program start? And, and then we'll just start through the differentiating the different factors. I think one of the core factors around identity access management is reducing risk, right? Least privilege is around reducing risk. And so the natural next step would, see, would be saying, okay, where is your core risk? Where is the places that you have the most sensitive information or the, the people that have access to the most sensitive data? Those are the people that are at the most risk to be compromised. And if they were to get compromised, the blast radius would be the largest. And so... Um, every organization, every CISO, I think one of the questions they are good at answering, or you know, one of the questions they are 
working very diligently to make sure they're good at answering is where is that risk? And that question, that answer is different for different organizations. If this is a financial services organization, maybe those are your financial systems. If you're a, a software company, maybe this is your production, your databases, your servers, different organizations have different answers. And so I would say that the, the, the first place to start is where is your most sensitive information. And that's where you want to be as meticulous as possible on who exactly has those that access. And that there's kind of actually that kind of has two, two aspects to it. One is where is your sensitive information, but also what are what is the level of role that that person has? So maybe being a having read access to production, you know, production is sensitive, read access is not maybe you perceive that to be low risk. Other organizations would say, hey, no, I have PCI regulated information. Having read access to production, that is very high risk. And so that's something that honestly, no vendor can tell. That's something that every company has to be able to, because it's very industry specific. Vertical specific, size specific, mission specific, data specific. It's all those specifics, right? Like totally. Yeah, my shop is not your shop. Is 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 the story there? So okay, so so we've 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 overcome that. We've had the conversation with the client, and we understand now. Here's the intersections you can you, you're concerned about. This is the type of data and the type of access you're you're wanting to hone in on. So what what's our next step? Great. So next step is removing that unneeded access. And what is unneeded? Unneeded, I think, is the magic the, the magic word here is. Um, a need is very hard to define, right? Because different people have a different definition of need. And I think that um, your goal or our goal as security practitioners is to make sure, again, least amount of permissions for the least amount of people, especially when it comes to this more sensitive aspects. And so an easier place to start is administrative roles. Administrative roles are, you know, God mode, things that are very, very sensitive, and you want to make sure that the least amount of people have that. And so uh, there have been many approaches to this. Some of, you know, in the in, in the time of UEBA used to take off, it was a big thing, uh, you know, behavioral analytics and um, CASBs tried to kind of mitigate in the middle and say, hey, you know, I'm noticing the, a lot of people are using um using this administrative role, maybe you should think twice and maybe they don't need that role. Maybe this is, I mean, you know, I've seen organizations, honestly, I think it's a cool approach. What they did is they um, just took the audit logs from all the applications. And every time someone logged in with an administrative role, it would go to their SIM and their SIM would kick off, you know, in their SOC, they'd say like, hey, if someone used an administrative role, make sure that um, the security team is notified. And so the security team got notified of every time um, they use the administrative role. And that's a low effort way to mitigate that, right? Because people don't need to sort of admin roles all the time, every time it's used. So that's a that's a kind of very, you know, simple place to start as a as a security practitioner. There are other kind of approaches that have been very popular recently. One would be just in time aspect access. So making sure that people don't have the access when they don't need it. And then when they do, they put in a request that request is processed by the policy, whatever the security team defines as their risk um uh, appetite right maybe, maybe you want to just automatically provision the access maybe you want to make sure they have a customer service ticket assigned to them and then when that ticket's resolved that access is removed maybe you want to make sure that um, if they're accessing pii data that they have gone through pii training and know before if that access if you know if their training expires the permission expires a lot of different examples here and you know we could go on again for days on but but the, the organizations are usually pretty good security teams are good about being creative on what are the mitigating factors that they want to control and want to identify 
when accessing the sensitive information. That's that's one of the beauties about a just-in-time aspect is that you know these the, the the credential doesn't have the access at all times, and when they do, they they would get it. You get to define what are exactly the criteria they need to fulfill in order for people to get that. And so if the business is not implicated, in, uh, impacted, excuse me, um, because they get it when they need, and security gets their protection that they need. That's a good place to start. Yeah, the mechanics of that, I'm going to ask on the back end. So just in time, I get it. Um, hey, I'm, I'm Alan, the admin, and I really want access to this thingy over here. And it runs the context checks, and it runs who is Alan, and it does all the things. Okay, boom, you got your access. How does the access then get uh, uninstated after after I'm done? How does how does the back end work? Just, just curious. Howdy, y'all. Alan Alford here to tell you about Alan Alford Consulting. After being a CISO five times, I decided to launch my own cybersecurity consulting practice. My cybersecurity career has spanned companies ranging from five to 50,000 employees, with revenues ranging from $2 million on up to $10 billion. I have worked in the cybersecurity industry itself, telecommunications, manufacturing, education, legal, data services, defense contracting, and for a number of SaaS providers as well. What I can do for your organization is to help you better manage, measure, report on, and more importantly, execute on your cybersecurity program. I have helped clients employ cybersecurity frameworks, conduct maturity assessments, develop board reports, and even to draft comprehensive three-year plans with budget and headcount projection to meet compliance and maturity goals. I can help you with anything from an assessment to comprehensive execution. I also offer retainer packages. Find out more at allenalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. No, it's, it's, it's a great question because... Um, different vendors will do that differently. And so, you know, if you are, for example, you know, you'll have a lot of jump servers, right? Jump servers will be man in the middle. You will, you know, you will go to that jump, that man in the middle, and then you can, that connects you to the end system. And so if I want to go and, you know, use sudo into something or, or use some admin role, then that man in the middle system intermediary will say, are you allowed? or Are you not allowed? And so if, you know, it's their own internal access control list that they're defining. Do they pass on to the end system or do they not? Um, specifically at Entitle, what we've been doing is we've taken an API first approach, meaning that we're com completely man on the side. Uh, we took that uh, uh, approach for many reasons, corely the ease of deployment. So, it, you know, if, you know, it's just really easy to get us up and running and in terms of mitigating factors so that if something were to happen to Entitle, we are not the pipeline of the, to the outside world, right? This, they, you can continue to access that end system. So at Entitle, what we do is we do this completely via API. So Alan, if you wanted to get access to MongoDB, we'll go to MongoDB, change that access control list ACL and say, hey, Alan's now allowed to access this schema. And then after three hours or after you're no longer on call or after your um, ticket expires or is resolved, we'll go back again via API and say, hey, Alan's no longer allowed to access that information. I got it. Okay, cool. So you, all right. So you guys are, I like that man, man on the side as opposed to man in the middle. I like that. that I've never heard that phrase before. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I used um, to, you know, that I used to do a lot of man in the middle. So that's what I have in my mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what's, what's missing still in permissions management? What are we, where, where aren't we yet that we need to be? So I'd say that, you know, when it comes down to, um, when it comes down to it, you look at, what organizations have in their stack. And this goes back to your original question. I don't want to be that classic politician that gets asked a question and then diverts it. So uh, we'll go back to your your, your previous question, which, which segues into your current question, which is how is the mid-market different from enterprise and what are the needs different there? And I'd say that when it comes down to it, 
different organizations have different needs. And the, again, the goal first and, first and foremost is reducing risk. And when it comes down to every security practitioner, you ask the CISO, you know, are you in a least privileged mindset? Do employees only have access to things that they need? The answer is always, always, almost always no. And the reason is it's really hard to define what do people need access to. And so I would say that in, in order to achieve that, this is both a combination of people and process and also a technology issue. One would be enabling the organization to have a security mindset around permissions. And the reason is, is that as security teams, we don't have all the context needed to define is Ever. the permission correct or Ever. It, it just can't happen. Um, and it's funny because like I, I find myself sometimes trying to convince security teams, hey, guys, you have to let go. You can't you can't centralize this all to yourself. Yes. yes. Um, but I think yeah, organizations starting to learn that that's the right yeah. approach. So, so security I, teams as the how, not the why or the what. Right. Like like the why and the what are owned by the business. They are. Totally. Exactly. And, and that's that's why you want to enable the business to make the right decision. There, there is a good reason why security teams are cautious to outsource this this decision making is because business is not necessarily security conscious. And again, this is not a, a malpractice thing. It's an incentives thing. The business is not judged on security. It's judged on the business. It just makes sense. Um, I, uh, I recently I, I listened all to the All In podcast and he Chamath there says a lot. He says, show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. And so it's a, it's very much that case. So anyways, um, enabling that business. And so how do you enable that business? I think this is where um, AI really comes into play here. A lot of the tools that have, have been enabling the, the contextualization of data that is somewhat hard to define. And it comes down to a lot of things. It comes down to, for example, if I access, request access to an AD group, what does that group mean? It's often like, you know, some maybe some GUID, maybe some gibberish, maybe some long string. It's been around for 30 years. Who remembers uh, what this group's get what this group's group gives, excuse me. And so I'd say that a few things here are happening. One is that how do you enable how do you make sure that the right person is making the decision? And that is around uh, ownership definition. So helping to identify who is the right owner, who is the person that has the context because if you let the the wrong person in the business decide, decide no one likes it. business, you know, I, I'll give a concrete example. I met a, a VP at a, a very large uh, Fortune 500 company and asked him, uh, you know, who who requests, who who approves access in your organization? He said, my secretary. And he said, what does that mean? He said, he said, well, I get a lot of emails and I just told her, like, you know, go in and approve all the access at the end of every day. <laughs> Oh, Can you believe it? My goodness! Oh <laughs> and, my goodness! And I, honestly, I don't blame him. I mean, you know, we're all we all have so many emails. Like he doesn't know the context. He's a mega VP. Why is why is a mega VP the one of approving access for right. his whole eight hundred person org? Right. It's, so instead, the executive admin is just is just clicking yes on everything. Well, and and as to your point about the incentive, I mean, at the end of the day, the business is operating at its most efficient when everybody has access to the thing they need when they need it. Right. So in other words, the default incentive for the business is give them all all the access all the time, always until something goes south and suddenly the business realizes there's different incentives. If somebody accidentally deletes all the stuff and you have to restore from backup and a whole department loses a day's effort, you know, OK, now the business is incentivized to, to revisit that. But but the default assumption for the business is everyone access all the time, always. So as, as shocking as it is that it's just an executive admin clicking approve, 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 I, I get it. 
you know? Yeah. And that's why, like, I, I don't, I don't blame anyone there. It's just no one's to blame. It's more that how do you, use, and this is where actually technology, because everyone likes to say, oh, it's a people in processing, but actually technology is where is what enables these processes, it's identifying and delegating the, the process. So it's as decentralized as possible. It's the granular team lead that knows if you need access to this Git repository, that's making the decision. Uh, and when it gets granular enough, then, you know, people, don't want to be the bad guy. They they want to make the right decision. They want to, it's you just have to help them. You have to lead them. So that's one part is making sure that's the right person to find uh, approving the access. The second part is giving them all the information they need so that they can make the right decision. And this goes back to my example of an AD group. If you just give them, hey, you know, Alan wants access to group developers one two three underscore United States. You're like, oh, okay, sure, I'll give them access to that. <laughs> um, but if you tell them, hey, like this group gives access to these set of resources and these set of resources have access to this set of information, you know, is Alan entitled to these set of privileges? Then that becomes a, an easier decision. You know, you know what they're giving. Exactly. You start, you start to get a feel for the actual implications versus the, the sprawl, right? I mean, it's almost kind of like the data classification story, right? Where it's like the data sprawl in your shop is so vast that you, you buy these tools like, you know, that are crawlers that are going to try to classify all the data. And you're leveraging automation to what extent you can. But at the end of the day, the human being who's asked, should, should person A have access to data B? Probably. I don't know. I don't even know what data B is. You know, like you have to help delineate and clarify some of that stuff. So I'm going to ask I'm going to ask a question here. Um, it's a phrase you didn't use yet. And it's not even come up yet in our conversation. And that's good old RBAC. So what's wrong with RBAC? Why aren't we talking about RBAC in this story? Uh, so, <laughs> you know what? I didn't even notice, but I'm happy you did because I have a lot to say about, about RBAC. Um, <laughs> I think that the the uh, basis of our, the first word in RBAC, roles, you know, there's classic the R in our roles and responsibilities. That just doesn't really, it's not how organizations work anymore. Everyone likes to talk about agile and flexibility and thinking outside of the box and right. It's like all of these 2023 millennial buzzwords that we all like to throw around. Um, and and what that means at its core is that you can't pull pe put people in a box, right? Um, and that has to do with a lot of, you know, a lot of things outside of work, but also in work, right? <laughs> you can't tell people like, this is what you are, and this is what you're going to be. And this is what this is the job description, because things are fluid. And, you know, maybe I want to step in and help this, this team across the street, or maybe, you know, I'm a product, uh, product manager, or, and, you know, I want to help out this uh, developer, and, and she has this, uh, you know, she has this project, and, and you know, I, I, I want to step in. These things happen in organizations. And so the, 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 the rigidity of RBAC usually just doesn't scale as a business grows. And these, what happens is, you know, the classic story we keep saying is you bring in like a McKinsey and Deloitte, you spend millions of dollars, they do this role mining research, they come out with a set of, of groups. And then six months later, you hire a new CEO, he does a huge restructuring, and everything goes to, because uh, that's what CEOs do, right? They restructure. Um, <laughs> um, and so basically, what happens is that you're you need a more flexible a flexible approach, and these the flexible approaches come down to a lot of things that we've spoken about up until now. It's just in time. It's self service. It's enabling the end user to define what they need. It's decentralization. But you know, one of the other classic buzzwords is which is actually a kind of a similar take, but it's attribute based access control and and attributes or policies or th things that are a bit more 
flexible, they can be ephemeral, they can be transient, right? Something that comes and goes, it's not something that's with you all the time. And that helps define these set of privileges that are attached to a job to be done, right? Maybe this is a project you're working on, maybe this is uh, an endpoint, you know, there are or, a lot or suddenly of, there's a legal a hold on that data that wasn't there yesterday and won't be there tomorrow, right? Like that's that's always my favorite example of sort of the transitive uh, attributes is legal holds. It's, it's, it comes up in every company. Everybody has to tackle it. Everyone has to deal with that one. You know, Alan, I've never heard that example, and I love it. I, mean, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start using it too. <laughs> right on. There you go. So we've we've stolen something from each other this show. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving. We're not stealing. It's your presence. <laughs> I'm running away with yours. <laughs> <laughs> man, man on the side, I'm running away with it and stealing it. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I, and, and the, the what I'd say about those transient um, um, attributes is that they, there are two sides to these attributes. There are attributes on the person. This can be, you know, again, on-call systems, HR systems, training systems, all these things we've mentioned. But there are attributes on this, the, the, the resources, the data. You know, does this database have of PII or, you know, is this production or is this dev or where is this data hosted and all these these different attributes on the information itself that can also be they can be they can be different. They can be changing. I mean, they're not can be. They're always changing. You're always spinning up new environments. You're always spinning up. You're always buying up new applications. And so taking the attributes from one side, the attributes from the other and using some sort of glue to put the two together. I think that's one of the other big new approaches that companies have been taking when it comes to more life cycle and, and what's called birthright access, right? Permissions that you get just by fulfilling a set of, of, of attributes. I, I love that. And I've done so much work lately on identity and zero trust. And, and this is kind of completing that that story. This is that to, to me, it's like you can talk about identity and zero trust all day long, but once you get to the actual access point, that's the juncture where identity alone doesn't cut it anymore, right? And, and I've talked about identity as the core of it. And in the sense that uh, I just did a presentation in New York City on this one, you know, we look at who you are. We look at what you're trying to do. Uh, what you're trying to do is unusual for your entity's behavior. So we re-trigger an authentication piece. Okay, great. We've really, really verified you're who you say you are. But now what? We still have that that access piece, that permissions piece. That's that's kind of the next step. So I, I appreciate you closing this loop for me. This has been a great conversation. Uh, any last thoughts? Any final stuff you want to shoot out for my listeners? Uh, this is a largely CISO audience. What do you want them to know about permissions management? <laughs> well, first of all, um, I'd be happy to, to continue the conversation. I'm always learning personally. This is what keeps startups alive, right? Is making sure that we're on the cutting edge. We're seeing where companies are going. And so I'm always thirsty to learn more about uh, what you guys are thinking about access management permissions and, and what's going well. It isn't going well. So happy to continue that conversation. Um, if you want to call BS on anything that I've said, also feel free to do so, right? Um, I always like to be proven wrong. And so really looking forward to continuing that conversation. I appreciate it, Ron. Thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Alan, I appreciate you having me over. Next time we'll get some uh, sweet tea and pecan pie. There you go. Pecan. You never <laughs> say pecan. It's pecan. Ah, Got to pronounce it like a Southern it. boy. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs> <laughs>